right, grab your Bibles and turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Grab your Bibles, turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Um, if you're new, we've been in a series based on the book of Ecclesiastes, um, and we're having a whale of a time um, discovering um, why life is meaningless. And so welcome, if you're new. All right, Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 1 to 7. Um, and before I read, I'd love for all of you to stand for the reading of God's word. Thank you. <clears throat> Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 1 through to 7 reads, Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth, therefore let your words be few. For a dream comes with much Business and the fool's voice with many words. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you, it is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. But God is the one you must fear. This is the word of the living God. Let's pray. God, help us not only understand your word but empower us by your spirit to live out what you are going to teach us this morning in jesus name we pray amen have a seat <clears throat> in 2017 Canada's Governor General lightly touched the Queen of England on the elbow as she descended a flight of steps. His actions raised eyebrows. The Brits started freaking out. And he was forced to defend himself because his actions led to a breach of royal etiquette with the queen. There are do's and don'ts for meeting the queen of England. I've never met the queen of England. I wished I would. But you never know. If I or you ever get the opportunity... Um, to meet Elizabeth II, the Queen of England, 
you will have to follow certain protocols and abide by a certain etiquette. First of all, this is what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to curtsy or bow the head only when you meet the queen. You're supposed to use the right greetings. On presentation to the queen, the correct address is your majesty and also ma'am or mama or ma'am. When you do meet the queen, you want to be early. You never want to be late for all you late people. Guests should arrive before a royal. And the last thing you must remember to do when you meet the queen is to take the queen's lead. Don't talk unless spoken to. Sit until she sits or begin eating um, until um, she does. So that's what you want to do when you meet the queen. These are some of the things you don't want to do. You don't want to touch the queen. Don't touch her. Don't go, oh, that's a nice dress. Don't do that. You don't want to turn your back on the queen. My goodness, don't do that. It's considered rude. And you don't want to ask personal questions. You don't want to say, what are you watching on Netflix these days? I want to do that. So far, in Ecclesiastes, the preacher who's the author behind Ecclesiastes has been helping us see how miserable life here on earth can be. From the very beginning, his goal has been to help us see that trying to find happiness and contentment apart from a relationship with God is hevel. It's vanity, it's meaningless, it's like chasing after wind. But here in chapter 5, as we read it, you probably notice, there's a bit of a change, okay? The preacher stops venting about the misery of life under the sun and begins and starts talking about the right and proper way to worship God. While much of the beginning of Ecclesiastes has been about the vanity of life apart from God, chapter 5 begins a transition okay, from the vanity of life in the world to reverence for the God who created the world. If there's an etiquette, to follow when meeting Queen Elizabeth, the Queen of England, there's an etiquette to follow when meeting with God. And so this morning, this section of Ecclesiastes kind of gives us a, um, um, the do's and don'ts for meeting with God. These admonitions will help us understand the right and proper way to relate to God, especially when we are in his presence. I love Ecclesiastes, don't you? My goodness, it's so surprising. Etiquette on how we relate to God, yes, it's in here. 
Firstly, we can rightly relate to God, if you're making notes, by approaching him with care. By approaching him with care. Um, look at verse 1 again. It says, Guard your steps when you go to the house of God to draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools for they do not know that they are doing evil. The first instruction the preacher gives us for how we should relate to God is to guard our steps when we go to the house of God. To guard your step, okay, is another way of saying pay close attention, okay, or to be mindful or thoughtful or aware of what you're doing. To guard your steps, listen to this, is to be careful and not careless, to be respectful and not flippant. And so from the very beginning, we're being instructed to be careful and respectful when we do what? Right? When we do what? When we go to the house of God. In those days, the house of God was the temple or the synagogue, okay? It was the place where God's presence dwelt. The place where God's presence existed in all its fullness. And so, back then, if you wanted to encounter and engage God, you would go to the temple. N.T. Wright says this. He says, the temple wasn't just a church on a street corner. It was the center of worship, the place where Israel's God, Yahweh, had promised to live in the midst of his people and so back then if you wanted to encounter God what did you have to do you need us to go to the house of God you need us to go to the temple but you guys know something you guys know this things are different now okay when you guys want to encounter God you don't have to travel anywhere or go to a place you don't need to do that why is that because of Jesus' death and resurrection, we no longer have to go to a place to encounter God. The veil of the temple has been torn into and Jesus has provided all of us, if you're a Christian, unlimited access to the God of creation. Tony Payne, um, who's an author from Australia, hey Eloise, he says this, meeting God is no longer a matter of physical temples and physical sacrifices. And now we can all come into God's very presence freely and openly and always because Jesus has gone before us and blazed a trail in his blood. In other words, we don't have to make an appointment to meet God, okay? We don't have to go to a place or a building to meet God. We get to encounter God, the living God, wherever we are and whenever we want. And as awesome as this is, we also need to remember that we still must have the right attitude when we encounter God. We must 
guard our steps. We must approach God carefully and thoughtfully. Guarding your steps or walking prudently or approaching God with care is a mindset that could very well, listen to this, transform your experience on Sunday morning. There's a way to approach God on Sunday. There's a way to approach God during the um, um, community gathering throughout the week. There's a way to approach God in your own personal devotional life that is careful and that is thoughtful and that could transform the way you experience God. Austin Duncan, who was one of my professors at seminary, says this, new covenant worship shouldn't be less reverential because of the freedom we have in it. Just because we don't have to measure the curtains of the tabernacle or have the same intricacies and the priestly system in the old covenant doesn't make worshiping God any less reverential. When you walk into any gathering of God's people, you are walking into a gathering um, where God has called together and where God is present. Okay? And so, when you gather with God's people right now, okay, believe it or not, God is here. And his presence with us is manifested in a unique way when we gather as Christians to worship him. This is mind-blowing. God is here with us. And so the million-dollar question is, how do you attend Sunday services? How do you engage God in prayer and through the scriptures? Is it less reverential than it should be? Do you have a casual, flippant, whatever attitude when it comes to engaging and encountering God? I wonder what changes you may need to make in your life so that you can approach and relate to God in a way that is careful, respectful, and thoughtful. The second way to rightly relate to God, um, and so that was the first first way is to approach God with care. The second way to rightly relate to God is to avoid the sacrifice of fools. All right, number two, avoid the sacrifice of fools, okay? So this is the don't, okay? Look at verse one again. Look at verse one again. It says, guard your steps when you go to the house of God to draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools for they do not know that they are doing evil 
okay the house of God like we've covered um, or that was the temple and was the place where Jews went to worship God because it was the place where God's presence um, dwelt and one of the ways they worshipped was by offering sacrifices okay faithful Jewish worshippers what they would do was bring offerings of money and grain and oil or flour as well as animals to be sacrificed by the priests okay and the offering of sacrifices was one of the way or the main way they worshiped God okay they would bring all of these things and take it to the temple in order to offer it to to Yahweh the one true God of the Bible and this was one of the main ways they worshiped this is why the word sacrifice okay in verse 1 um, here can be translated as worship okay and so instead of saying the sacrifice of fools okay we can say the worship of fools okay you guys with me this is simple um, and so this is what happens the preacher what he's gonna do is he goes on to give us an idea of what the sacrifice of the worship of fool looks like okay and so look at the second part of verse one so the verse one says guard your steps when you go to the house of God right and then it says to draw near to listen is better than um, to offer the sacrifice of fools okay and the next part this is it for they do not know that they are doing evil in other words when a fool offers a sacrifice to God okay the fool when he does something for God or worships God right what is happening is that they believe what they're doing is right when in reality it's wrong they believe God is pleased with what they're doing for him when in reality God is displeased with what they're doing for him they are offering a sacrifice to God but they do not know that they are doing evil offering sacrifices at a temple is not something we do anymore okay I don't think it's I don't know if anyone here does it I don't think any there are people out there that are doing some odd stuff out there okay there are we're gonna find them somewhere you are but the offering of sacrifices as a simple is not something we do not do but the interesting thing or the thing you all know is that worship is something we still engage in as Christians as Christians we can worship God in many ways right we can worship God through singing studying the Bible serving giving etc and so the question I want us to think about is I wonder what God thinks of your worship I wonder if you think what you're doing for him is acceptable when in reality he views your worship as unacceptable are you 
rightly relating to God or are you offering the sacrifice of fools? How do you know whether your worship is acceptable or unacceptable? The good news is the preacher will help us determine this in the following verses. Right? And so we've seen that we should approach God with care. We've seen that we should avoid making sacrifices of fools. Right? The third way to rightly relate to God is to listen more and talk less. Listen more and talk less. Look at verse 2. It says, Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. Right? The preacher, if you notice, briefly touched on this whole idea of listening in verse 1 when he said, To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. Here he unpacks it a bit more. More. He says, when you enter into God's presence, when you engage in worship, listen more and talk less. In other words, when you engage with God in worship, go with a receptive attitude and a readiness to listen rather than lecture God on what you think he should do or how things should be run. Because having a receptive attitude towards God by listening more and talking less is what will help you avoid offering the sacrifice of fools. Walter Kaiser Jr. says this, The implication seems to be that the sacrifice of fools consists of excessive talk, especially talk that has little or no heart behind it. Therefore, to avoid looking like a fool, it is best to limit one's speaking in God's presence and be more ready to listen to what God has to say instead of offering a lot of chatter. Listen more, talk less will help us avoid offering the sacrifice of fools. But I think the main reason for this humble, receptive attitude is in God's presence, right? That we need to possess. Main reason why is because of who God is. Look again at verse 2. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before or to uh, hasty to utter a word before God. What does it say next? I can't hear you. Someone, please. Are we reading the same thing? Oh, we are. Exactly, right? For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. 
What is this telling us? We're to talk less and listen more in the presence of God because of who we are in light of who God is. Who is God? God is in heaven. What does that mean? He is the eternal deity who created and sustains everything. Who are we? We're on earth, we're human, and we're mortal beings limited in time and space. The God we worship is the sovereign and mighty God who rules the entire universe. He is the most powerful being in all the universe. And because of this, there's a vast difference between us and God. While God is absolutely approachable, there's an infinite distinction between us and God. And this realization, the creator-creation distinction, should have practical implications for how we relate to God. When we relate to God in light of who he is, we're expected to talk less and listen more. We're expected to have a receptive attitude and a readiness to listen to God rather than expect God to listen to us. In the context of this passage, the fool is the religious person who has lots to say and has all the answers and is rash with his mouth. Why? Because this idea of the fool is self-centered, right? They feel what they have to say is way more important than what God has to say. So the question I want us to begin to think about, and I'll start with this, like, what's your prayer life like? When you engage with God in prayer, (laughs) are you listening more and talking less? Or are you listening less and talking more? Because to talk more and listen less when we pray is to make our time of prayer all about us and not about God, okay? Our prayers are self-centered when our time of prayer becomes saturated with our opinions, our desires, and thoughts. All right, all right, you guys may be freaking out now, but Paul Tripp, I'm going to go to someone who's like awesome. He's going to help us here. He says... So many of our prayers are self-centered grocery lists of personal cravings that have no bigger agenda than to make our lives a little bit more comfortable. They tend to treat God more as our personal shopper than a holy and wise father king. They're more like pulling up a divine shopping site than bowing our knees in adoration and worship. Prayer should not be self-centered, but prayer should be God-centered. It should ultimately be about seeking intimacy with God. Yes, yes, hear me, hear me, hear me, loud and clear. God wants us to make our needs known to him. Okay, God invites us to um, share all of our requests with him. He absolutely wants that, but 
if we're always asking for things in prayer and never delighting in who he is, we're like the child that only goes to their parent when they want something. Or we're like the fan who goes to a concert to watch their favorite band and instead of like wanting to hear them play and enjoy them, he wants them, right? He wants them to hear him play music to them. Prayer is more about basking in who God is than asking him for stuff. Prayer is all about growing in our knowledge of who God is. That is why the preacher in Ecclesiastes is exhorting us to listen more and talk less when we enter into God's presence. Charles Spurgeon clarifies this a bit more. He says, true prayer is not a mere mental exercise nor a vocal performance, but it's far deeper than that. It's spiritual commerce with the creator of heaven and earth. It's a spiritual business from beginning to end, and its aim and object is not man, but God himself. I would also add that an understanding of who God is helps us understand who we are, okay? Once we get an accurate, a legit view of just how holy and pure and righteous God is, we will see this. We will see how unholy, impure, and unrighteous we are. Gosh, I don't know about you, but... Man, I have had times when I have been praying and reading scripture and getting a deeper understanding of who God is. And the more I understand how holy and righteous and perfect God is, the more I'm like, gosh, I feel I'm just so unholy. And I don't deserve to be in his presence. An understanding of how wretched we are helps us understand how righteous God is. And this understanding is what makes us say less and listen more in prayer. Let me give you a biblical um, illustration of this. Turn to Luke chapter 18, verse 9 to 14. Luke chapter 18. I love, um, I, do, I do and I don't. Where am I? I'm in like Romans. I should go back. Um, Matthew, Mark, Luke. Um, Luke chapter 18. 18. Um, I'm familiar with this passage. And every time I refer to it, I remember one of the worst experiences I had. And that experience was I'd started my residency at a church in Los Angeles. And they asked me to preach just to get an idea of, you know, can Obed really like stand and preach God's word? And um, they, I think they assigned me this passage, this section. And I tell you, I was incredibly nervous. But I was like, I'm going to trust God. And I am nervous, but I'm trusting God. God to settle my nerves so that I can actually deliver his word. I had a 15-minute slot, had all the pastors and leaders there with notepads ready to listen and critique me after. It was 
awful, all right? And so I started to preach, had the worst experience ever. I was shaking, my notes were dropping everywhere. It was the worst experience. I didn't even know if I finished. I kind of gave up halfway. I was like, I can't take this anymore. (laughs) It was awful. Um, I hope I've improved ever since then. So Luke chapter 18, verse 9 to 14 reads this, okay? Listen to this story. He, that is Jesus, also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortionists, unjust, adulterous, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. What an amazing illustration of what it looks like to engage God in prayer. It's an attitude thing. If we're proud and think we're awesome, We're going to enter into prayer with God, look at me. Look what I have done. And as a result, I am expecting you to do this for me. But if we have an accurate view of who God is in light of who we are, there's just going to be this soberness. And yes, we will ask, we will believe, but the attitude and the posture of our hearts will be different. So we've seen um, how to rightly relate to God is to approach him with care, um, is to not offer sacrifices um, of fools, um, and to, what was the other one? Exactly, I was just making sure you were listening. (laughs) The fourth way to rightly relate to God is to not make empty promises. Lastly, not make empty promises. Look at 4, 5, and 6. It says, When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? In these verses, the preacher warns against failing to fulfill the vows you make to God. These are promises we make to God and others that we never intended to keep. In the opinion of the preacher, he's saying it's better to never make a vow or a promise or a commitment than to keep failing to live up to the ones you make. Although 
we don't go through the formal ritual process of making vows they did back then in the ancient world we still make vows to this day okay as a pastor i am i love i have the privilege of officiating weddings and every time i officiate a wedding it gets to that part all right where the couple vow to love each other unconditionally all right until death separates them what are they doing they're making a vow to each other okay um last week we ordained dan boss into the ministry Woo! excited about that that was awesome and by accepting this call dan was making a commitment to be faithful to god to be faithful to god's word and to be faithful to the calling god has placed on him as a member of king's cross church right if you're a member you have promised to love jesus serve your church family and be on mission with Jesus in this city if you're baptized if you're here and you're baptized as a Christian when you were dunked and you were brought up you were making a vow a commitment and a public declaration of allegiance to Jesus Christ we make vows to this day we make promises we make commitments and I just gave examples of some of the outward expressions of promises we make to God. But as individuals, we also make internal and personalized promises to God. Remember the last time you said, God, if you give me, fill in the blank, I will do, fill in the blank remember that you may not have uttered it verbally but internally there was this thing of God only if I could have this I will do this for you I will climb a mountain for you God maybe but you get what I'm talking about we make promises and commitments to God all the time and the most important thing to remember is when you make a promise to God or to others it's important that you fulfill those promises when you say you're going to do something for God and his people you better do it and so the question is what promises have you made that you have not yet kept what promises have you made to God or others that you have not yet fulfilled and what promises are you entertaining that you're planning on making that you may not or are not intending on fulfilling this is a reminder that if you make a promise it's vital 
and it's important that you keep those promises. God is the sovereign creator of the universe. And an understanding of who he is should help us all relate to him in the proper and in the reverential way. This morning we found out the do's, okay? We found out the do's and don'ts of how we relate to God. We must approach God with care, with thoughtfulness, and with reverence. We must avoid making sacrifices of fools. They are those sacrifices where we think we're doing the right things, but in reality, according to God, we're doing the wrong things. We were exhorted and challenged to listen more and speak less, especially when we're in the presence of God. And lastly, we were reminded to avoid making empty promises. <laughs> the truth about all of this, ladies and gentlemen, is that we will fail miserably in our pursuit of all of these things. Okay? We will fail miserably. You will not always and fail when it comes to how you approach God. Okay? You will fail when it comes to um, the sacrifice of food. You will. You will be doing or you are involved in doing things now that you think are serving God. But at the core of it, according to God, God's looking down and saying, this is a sacrifice of a fool. You will fail when it comes to how you engage with God. Instead of listening more and talking less, you're going to have many times where you're going to talk more and listen less and enter into prayer wanting God to hear all about who you are and what you've done. Remember that guy in Luke 18, right? At the beginning, we're looking at him like, what, a, what is wrong with it? Like you, me, we can be that guy all the time. And you will continue to make promises to God and to others that you will fail to keep. And it's this realization that makes Jesus all the more glorious. Jesus' life of perfect worship is the only reason we can worship God imperfectly. Put differently, the reason God the Father can accept our imperfect worship is because he's already received perfect worship from Jesus. The only reason why God is not 
angered with us and doesn't destroy us because of our off-key and unfaithful worship is because of Jesus' perfect and faithful worship. If you are here today and you are a Christian and you are a Jesus follower, you should feel a sense of, man, I can't do this. I can't live up to this. But this feeling should lead you to glorifying and exalting in Jesus Christ because it's through Jesus Christ that you can actually worship God as an imperfect sinner. Hebrews chapter 10 verses 19 onwards says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body and since we have a great priest over the house of God here we go verse 22 listen let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith um, that faith brings having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with water. There's so much going on there, okay? But the gist of this is because of what Jesus Christ has done for you, you can engage and relate to the sovereign God of the universe without fear that he will reject you and tell you to never come. Jesus makes it possible for us to worship God. Praise his name. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this morning. Our lives are in your eyes. Our lives are in your hands, God. And as we worship through singing and communion, we have no other choice. We have no choice but to just look to Jesus and trust in Jesus and celebrate Jesus. So God, this truth is simple. This truth is what we hear all the time. But God, I pray that you would give us a fresh appreciation of Jesus so that we would treasure and delight and glory in Jesus. It's because of Jesus that we can relate to you in the right ways. In his name we pray. Amen.